When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go on there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as the Giants had their first training camp practice today. So we'll go through some of the highlights. We had some media availability as well. And you could continue to interact with us offline at hashtag GiantsJetChat as well as our individual Twitter handles. A reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So a busy day for the first time in quite some time, which was nice, Paul. And let's start with the injury news because two developments with respect to, A, Daniel Bellinger, who was a very short stay on PUP. He was immediately activated. And remember, we emphasized when we were talking about this earlier in the week the fact that Bellinger could come off at any time. So it just goes to show you that's going to fluctuate from player to player, not just for the Giants across the league, but he's now ready to go. So that Lance, was encouraging. Lance, yes. you mean all that Twitter panic the other day was unjustified? Well, welcome oh to the world God. of the NFL in training camp. You can yeah. say that about any team when it comes to injury news. Twitter just loves to incite panic. It can't help itself. Indeed. In well, we event. made it clear, though, on this program. We did. The rules and the we regulations did. regarding PUP. But not, but not everybody who reads Twitter listens to this program, unfortunately for them. Understandable, yes. <laughs> They're missing out on an awful lot, we should mention. But they are. The bottom line is it was a very short stay. He's off. And then the second thing was Blake Martinez spoke to the media and indicated he has been cleared. He actually was cleared yesterday. And remember, he's... Coming up to about a year removed from the torn ACL, he was hurt in week three of last season against the Atlanta Falcons, but that's encouraging news because this was one of the key ingredients on defense that had to be a spectator, so for him to get the green light from the training staff this early in camp, I think is another step in the right direction. No doubt about it, and as far as Blake is concerned, he says, look, there's certainly going to be a little bit of a question about his confidence because coming off a significant injury like this, you have to have some doubts. But he did say that the tests that the trainers were doing with him, some of the different calisthenics and some of the different gauges to find out where his knee is after the torn ACL, uh, the results were better than when he did those tests before his surgery. So that sure. gives him a tremendous amount of optimism that he's going to be able to be the real Blake Martinez once he gets out on the field and starts playing real games. I, you know, you hear sometimes guys talk about after a specific surgery that they feel stronger in that limb or that appendage 
because the surgery made them work so hard on the rehab that they actually gained strength in that leg or that shoulder or that arm, whatever it is. I didn't get that from Martinez, but he clearly indicated that some of the test results were better than before he got hurt. So uh, I'll just take that at face value and say it's a good sign. And he also indicated how difficult it was to just watch them play football last season when he was a spectator, which is understandable. Lance, I had to see this guy in the lunchroom every week last year during the season, and it was hard. He he looked like a guy who had just gotten his dog run over by a bus. (laughs) I mean, no, it was very hard on him. Extremely hard. The guy really loves to play. He loves to be with his teammates. And the fact that he couldn't play and then had to watch the team lose like they did – It was hard watching him eat lunch every day. He was not a happy guy. Well, injuries, you could say this for really any player. It really puts things in perspective. I would say it puts your career in perspective. When you lose out on the one passion you have and the game you love and it's taken away because of health, I think you just grow a greater appreciation for the game. Not to say that Blake didn't have that previously, but I do think it maybe opened up some new horizons in terms of how he views the game. The other thing that he mentioned was how Wink Martindale's defense is very aggressive, which goes without saying, but that he puts a lot on the players in terms of trust and allowing them to have the flexibility to go into positions where they feel comfortable and also they could showcase their strengths. And the other thing that he mentioned, though, I think his math was a bit off. He mentioned all the defensive coordinators that he's had to work with in the seven seasons that he's been in the NFL, and it's four. It's been two with the Packers, two with the Giants now. So this is really nothing new for him in terms of having to once again digest a new scheme. Yeah, he said it was his fifth and seven seasons. I guess you went back and researched it. But the bottom line is, he said Wink Martindale is very aggressive. He trusts his guys, and he gives them freedom in different ways. Not that Patrick Graham didn't give the guys freedom, but he said it's a little bit different in Wink's system. Would not get into detail, and I don't blame him. You don't want to say too much, especially this early during the summer. But uh, Martinez, obviously just another one of a long list of defensive players that we've all talked to since the early part of the spring who are very excited to execute Martindale's scheme. And the reason why I went back was because when I heard five, it just sounded funny. He had Dom Capers, he had Mike Pettin in Green Bay, Patrick Graham, and now Wink. So unless I'm missing somebody in the equation, I don't know who he was referring to. And nobody was fired mid-season that Maybe took he over. also referred to his college coordinator. He could have, perhaps, possible? but then that would have made it eight seasons, okay. right? Because he's only been in the NFL, this is going to be his seventh. Well, maybe he, so, maybe, that was why. maybe he also considers last year not a season. Anything's possible. We'd have to give him a follow-up I'll to get, get him clarification. In here. You want me to go down? He's, he's actually finishing up his dessert now. You I want think me to go we'll, get him? Something tells me I think we'll survive if we don't necessarily <laughs> get to the bottom of it. I just wanted to clarify the numbers yes. that he threw out. That was all that uh, I did. That's why I went back into the archives just to double-check because it just seemed like that was a high volume. But, hey, four and seven seasons is still a lot. Okay, I don't want to downgrade that. Whether it's four or five, it just goes to show you, and there's a lot of players in this boat too, specifically, of course, guys on the offensive side of the ball because they've lived it here with the Giants. And when you at least are exposed to every two years having to learn a new scheme, I do think that at least helps prepare you accordingly. Okay, this is what I need to take care of early in training camp. These are the things I need to look at from a film perspective. I need to pace myself as they add more layers to the strategy of what they want to do. That, to me, is a good thing. That's not necessarily a negative that he's had to work with so many defenses. Okay, here's a very, very real point that has to be mentioned as long as we're on this topic. 
when the Giants signed Blake Martinez as a free agent from the Packers, the one thing that we were told is that he was an incredibly smart and astute football player. Is that he's a guy? Well, he went who, to Stanford, so I hope that right, counts for something. Who's gonna? He's gonna call the signals. He's gonna be responsible. He's gonna be the leader. He's gonna be the heart, the soul, and the guts of that defense. And playing inside linebacker, you would expect him to be. Of and of course, going to Stanford as well, he was everything that he was advertised to be, Lance. We found that out in his first year at the, with the Giants when he had his typical average 150 tackles. That's the guy he was. And Patrick Graham couldn't say enough about him being a coach on the field. So it stands to reason that he would be able to pick up Wink Martindale's system relatively quickly and would not have a lot of bumps in the road. Well, and because of his smarts that you just laid out, that's why when you and I were having the conversation the other day on this very podcast, we were talking about candidates, comeback player of the year. He was my guy because of that, because of what he brings to the team, both on and off the field, getting guys in the right position, where he's aligned. I think you take that all into consideration. Then, of course, his work ethic. I don't think it hurts his cause to hopefully bounce back, be healthy, be on the field for the majority of the games, and be a productive component with respect to Wink Martindale's defensive scheme. Just a few other notes with respect to at least health and injuries. When Brian Dable and Joe Shane spoke to the media earlier today, they emphasized that aside from the guys on PUP, everybody's relatively in good shape. Even the guys that were in red jerseys in the spring, they didn't want to overemphasize things and really you know, run them through and exhaust them, mainly so that they'd have them ready to go at this stage of the season. So specifically, a guy like Kadarius Toney, who took part in practice, the reason why they didn't want to overwork him was they wanted to make sure he was ready to go practice one, not have a setback, and then all of a sudden need to be a spectator again. So there was a rhyme and reason behind how they approached specific players over the course of OTAs and minicamp. There always is. Any good, responsible coaching staff is going to have a rhyme and a reason for how they do things on a regular basis. And how many times did we have to tell people? You know, there was there was the one uh, writer who made a huge deal out of when uh, Kayvon Thibodeau came out of the one spring practice and he went over to the side and uh, pulled himself out and did a little bit of walking, got a little bit stretched out, and didn't return to the practice. Do you remember what a big deal? Oh, my God. What well, was Thib- the entire Thibodeau. offseason? Thibodeau must be hurt, right? Because this happened in one of the OTAs. And so he wound up not not working for the next couple of ones that the, the media saw. And then uh, for the minicamp, you know, he was very limited in terms of what he did. And so many people were freaking out over this. And Dabo kept saying, guys, it's the spring. It's not September. We don't need him Sunday. Look at the calendar. And that was the whole point. No panic. Now, look, I get it. There's so many people gun-shy around here about Giants injuries because over the last decade, they have been the most injury-prone organization in the NFL. In fact, I almost, well, I'm not going to say it, but I think the fact that they came out clean today on their first day of training camp is actually a good omen because you know this, Lance. You've been around. You know this. Over the last decade, they have always gotten somebody nicked up, even if it was only minor. Somebody usually gets nicked up on the first day of Giants training camp. And, in fact, they've actually had some serious injuries occur on the first day of Giants training camp over the course of the last several years. So the fact that they were clean today – I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wear a big smile for Joe Shane and say I think it was a good day. Yeah, 
uh, well, any day that your team comes out fully healthy from a practice in the NFL is a step that you're going to pride yourself on, not necessarily say, oh, man, we wish we had some bumps and bruises so that, you know, these guys get used to the toll that's going to be taken on their body over the next few days. Sterling Shepard, I remember, I think it was a few years ago, he got banged up early in training camp, and thank God that that injury didn't turn out to be as bad as people initially anticipated. But yes, to your point, there's been some examples of that, but it just goes to show you during OTAs and minicamps, since the news cycle is relatively slow, when a guy's wearing a red jersey or working out on the side or on a bike, I mean, that steals headlines, but that doesn't mean that it's warranted. That doesn't mean that there's concern or substance behind the injury. And I think the Giants, there was, once again, rationale behind why they weren't putting guys out on the field during the spring. They didn't want them to have a step back in their progress from other injuries that they may be nursing from their college days or making the transition through the draft process. Why put yourself in a precarious spot? It's just, it's not worth it. So that was the reason why, and it doesn't maybe get put in perspective then, but now it makes a lot more sense when you actually have the guys available and ready to go. Because if nobody's on the field with Daniel Jones working on chemistry, what good is it? That was another reason why they didn't want to make sure these receivers who have dealt with a lot of injuries going back to last season, the Galladay's, the Shepherds, the Tonys, all these guys we were talking about, right? They were sidelined. They were barely on the field. Who cares if they miss OTAs in minicamp? You're more concerned about them being ready to go for a good portion of the season. So I think this now comes full circle based on what they put forth. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Now, I did catch something, and I don't know how many folks really listen carefully enough to Dable. Uh, and I'm, I, I don't know. Did they? Did we air the uh, the presser today live on Giants.com? No, that was not aired. It live. Has, is, was it on? Was it already posted as taped? I don't know if it was posted. I mean, it will be by the time we post this show. Okay. People one will be thing able to that I thought was extremely interesting from Dable. First of all, he would not rule out Shepard coming back during the preseason, coming off of the torn Achilles in the season finale back in January. He said, quote, it's going well, made a lot of strides, been remarkable, and would not put a date on him coming back. But again, he wouldn't rule him out for the preseason. I was flabbergasted. Now, I saw Shep, and I talked to him for a minute, and he told me the progress has been well beyond anybody's anticipation. And he is very, very excited about it. So maybe, maybe, even though realistically speaking, uh, it made sense not to count on him until potentially mid to late October. I've kind of thought in my own mind, maybe Halloween. Uh, it sounds like there's a chance that Shepard could, could make it back a lot earlier than that. So I think that's an interesting item that we can talk about from the injury perspective. The other thing that I thought was key, Dable says uh, the team needs to practice and compete as a coach. You want as many reps as you can get from your players. And then to paraphrase, he said, you can't buy insurance on every player, but you have to be smart about how to use them and make sure that you have the rest and recovery programs in place. Giving me at least a hint, if nothing else, that he does plan on getting a bunch of these guys a lot more snaps in the preseason than maybe others anticipate. 
Well, and you got to feel out the player, too. You got to ask the players how they feel. I mean, I know most players will say, oh, good, I'm fine, coach, don't worry about it. But I think it's important for the guys coming off of injuries to be up front with the training staff and the coaches so that they don't put themselves, once again, in a tough spot. It's funny. This reminds me of a conversation I was on Sirius the other day with former Bucks general manager Mark Dominic, and he was relating that during training camp, as much as he wanted to stay on the field and observe and have conversations with the coaching staff, he says this time of the year, the most important conversations he ever had was with the training staff after every practice because he'd have to go in, he'd have to get a report, and then that would determine what transactions would potentially have to be made even when you had the 90-man roster. Are you going to be worried about putting somebody you know, on IR or whatever? Or are you going to put somebody on PUP because maybe they had a setback with their individual work? Do you need to have a tryout? I mean, those things are so fluctuating as these days go by. That's why we talk about it so fluid. Nothing is ever status well, quo every single day because of that very reason. Lance, I'll give you a great example. And Joe Shane himself said that he is very much in step with head coach Brian Dable that they're going to talk after every practice and see where they stand and also look to see if there's somebody that they can go out and get to make the roster better. Now, in each of the last two days, the Giants have had quite a collection of players in here for tryouts. Actually, it's been the last three days, I believe. I mean, there were guys in here again today who, who were off to the side, had nothing to do with the practice, but they, the Giants went through another tryout session today. It's entirely possible that by 4 o'clock this afternoon, by the end of the NFL business day, the Giants will make a transaction. It absolutely could happen. And that's why, you know, when Jeff Eagles was on the show the other day and he said, you know, that spot on the 53 is never safe. You know, you have to tell all these younger players especially, as they get here in July, don't look over your shoulder because – there's a chance you won't be on the roster tomorrow. You've got to go out and prove yourself every day. Your spot is not safe. If they don't get that message, especially just looking at what happens across the NFL, then I would say they've probably been living under a rock for the yeah, last really? few years. Because, I mean, it goes without saying that you can't feel secure. Even if you're you know, a star, remember, with guarantees or the way contracts are worded, teams, they could release you if you don't stay healthy or whatever it may be. And I think players have learned that the hard way. But a young guy, the last thing you want to have to do is convince a young guy that, hey, Tomorrow, you may not have a spot here because they've been bringing in 75 other guys that play your position. And as you mentioned, forget the tryouts. I mean, the Giants made a number of transactions even before training camp started. They added four guys and then parted ways with four players. So that just goes to show you that there's nothing preventing them from stopping the transactions and the movement on the roster. And actually, Joe Shane was asked about Andrew Adams specifically, one of the four guys that they brought in, veteran safety who's been with the Bucks, clearly had a stint with the Giants. He was here in 2016 and 17. And one of the things that he mentioned was, since there are still people in this building that were here, obviously, in 2016 and 17, the feedback he got just in terms of the person and what they remember for him as a player was – a stand-up individual, well-respected, and that at least rung a bell. Not to say that that's why they signed him. They worked him out, and they felt he was a good fit, and clearly a special teams contributor. But Joe Shane did highlight the fact that he left a very strong impression with individuals within this organization. Well, I also thought it was interesting that Shane mentioned they were keeping tabs on him as well as Nick Williams 
throughout the course of the offseason. He said there's a bunch of guys, actually, that we've been keeping track of, and this is just the time that we were able to bring them in. As you know, Lance, and we've discussed this on the program many times before, there are some street-free agent veterans who don't necessarily want to sign early. They want to be able to wait a little while. Maybe they feel they need to heal up from past injury. Maybe they just want to wait for the right spot. They want to see how things are sorting out on the depth chart and then kind of pick and choose where they go because they think they'll have the best chance to contribute. There can be a lot of reasons why a guy on the street may not decide to sign until right before camp. And for that matter, we also know that many times guys won't sign until camp already starts and other guys won't even sign until after week one of the regular season because the team doesn't want to guarantee their full year's contract. They just want to be able to pay them on a week-to-week basis so they'll sign them after the first game of the year. So don't ever confuse the timing of a guy coming in with his ability, so many folks say, well, why was he out on the street? Oh, he must be shot. He must not have anything to offer. That is a very foolish and shallow assumption. There's a, there's a reason why some of these timings come into play, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the guy has run out of gas as a player. No, variety of different factors that you outlined. And most teams, general managers, even coaches, You keep a list together of players that you potentially could target in the event you lose somebody valuable. That's called the short list, by the way. Every team has a, quote, short list. That's the, the nomenclature that coaches use. So players like Adams and Williams clearly were on the giant short list, and they, I'm sure, were in communication with their agents and their representatives and checking in about them working out, how they feel, this and that. This is what we're thinking about. Also, here's the other thing. And this relates to what you were talking about. You may really like a player who's a veteran, who's out there, and you tell the player, you tell the agent, listen, we just drafted three or four guys at that position. We have some undrafted guys. We really want to take a look at them this spring. We want to give them as much work as possible. We want to see what we're working with. After that, we could better assess whether or not we need to bolster that position. And that's when we would love to bring somebody like you in maybe as training camp starts to A, push those guys or further prove that you belong and we may need to give them opportunities on the practice squad or however it may be. Because especially if you're not putting the pads on, what difference does it make if you have the veteran without the pads when you probably have film to go by to evaluate that guy, and then you could easily bring him in when the pads actually go on early on in training camp. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, honestly, as, as the Giants look to move forward under this new regime, one of the things that we also have to remember is that this new coaching staff, and most of these coaches are new, there are, there's only a handful of holdovers from the past. Uh, these guys have all of their own connections, too. They've got a network of players that they know that may be sitting out for whatever reason. And I'm sure, okay, at one point or another, they're going to the coach or they're going to Joe Shane and they're saying, you know, um, it looks like we could probably use another, let's just say, defensive lineman. Um, So maybe, uh, uh, you know, either the D-line coach or or Wink Martindale goes up and says, hey, um, I know a guy who I had. And he's been sitting around and, you know, he's looking for some work. Uh, maybe we should put in a call to him now because I'm telling you, we're kind of thin. I'm, I'm a little concerned about this. And this guy can provide that for me. 
And that sometimes that's how it works too. And so the Giants, by rebuilding most of their coaching staff, they now have a whole different network of people that they can call on if they need to reach out and get somebody from the outside. Well, for example, one of the other players that was brought in was Marcus Kemp. Where yes. did he come from? He came from Kansas City. Uh, who was by in the Kansas way. City? My <laughs> yes. There you go. So, I mean, that's go. the example you're talking Great about. Great example. And I'm not saying that Kafka was calling him up every single day, but if you believe truly that Kafka didn't have any conversation with Dable and Joe Shane before they brought him in, I find that hard to believe. I agree totally. Okay. And by by the way, Kemp is an outstanding special teams player. Well, that's what he mainly played in Kansas City. He barely got offensive snaps if you look at his numbers. So I am sure that you didn't just hear from Kafka in terms of if you're the Giants and you're looking for a reference – uh, I'm sure that Thomas McGeggy, the special teams coordinator, he, you know, he keeps track some, of some guys around the league, too, as to who are the, some of the special teams demons who I might like to get my hands on if, if I have a chance. And I'm sure that McGeggy also took a look at some of that tape or, or at least had some frame of reference about him and, and gave his big thumbs up, too. And we discussed this yesterday on the show, and I know play, uh, some, some folks out there maybe don't want to hear a lot about this, but the Giants are, are doing a lot to have to rebuild their special teams this year. Their kick coverage units are going to have to be basically all new. So they need guys like this who will come in and have a track record of being able to get the job done. And that's why it's also more of a numbers game We've had conversations about guys on the back end of the roster, specifically at the wide receiver position. Yes. Now it's really starting to pile up because you have a few guys that have good special teams experience in their back pocket. How do you now differentiate? Well, maybe one player can be on three different units or four different units like Dwayne Harris, whose name was brought up earlier this week on one of our programs, as opposed to another guy. Maybe he's only a return guy. So you say, well, would we rather have the guy that can contribute to four units or we'd rather have the guy that can only maybe return punts or return kickoffs? It becomes, once again, sometimes situational football that determines who makes the cut and who doesn't. Did you see the um, the tweet that went up this morning? Uh, somebody had pulled down some video from Good Morning Football. And I must confess, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this other than uh, Mike Garofolo on Good Morning Football apparently had said Cole Beasley is looking to play this year. And he has several interested teams that are considering him. And we all know he was one of Coach Dable's favorite players in Buffalo. Sure. Could all of a sudden he wind up being injected into this mix at wide receiver. I mean, you talk about a real puzzle at that position. Add Beasley to the mix. I mean, if he does come in here, he's not coming in here to get cut. He's coming in here to stick. Sure. So but that's one you... less that's what that's one less spot you would have to give. Yeah, I mean, my only response to that would be I think between Tony and Wandell Robinson you have players that would do what Cole Beasley would bring to the table. I would agree with you. I would absolutely agree with you. But if for some reason, and I'm not saying this is going to happen. Again, please let me make that very clear. I have no, no one has whispered to me that Cole Beasley is interested in the Giants or that they're interested in him. What we do know is that he was incredibly productive, not only in Dallas for many years, but when he got to Buffalo three seasons ago, he was also very productive for them. Absolutely. And Dable loved this guy. 
Okay, he is on the street. He is available. Uh, he is looking for work. And look, if if by some stretch of the imagination, Dable thinks he can help here, they might have communication. And maybe it's not out of the realm of possibility, even though I agree with you. I think that Robinson and, and certainly uh, Tony and if Shepard should come back. I mean, you're talking about a lot of guys out of that same box of yeah. wide receivers. I would tend to think that's not a good fit, but can we argue with the fact that Dable loves the player and he was very productive with the player? If that's enough to have him walk into Joe Shane's office and say, I really need to bring him in here, chances are Joe's going to let him do it. I'm bringing up the tweet, by the way, from Mike Garofolo of NFL Network just to ex- exactly give his quotation. Yes, please, because former, I don't have it exactly. Yeah, former Bills wide receiver Cole Beasley remains unsigned, though that's not for the lack of interest. Beasley is remaining patient as he waits for the right opportunity and offer, end quote. And then there's the video from NFL Network attached to that, but that was what Mike Garofolo actually tweeted out in addition to mm-hmm. the video. So those are his exact words. So basically, hey, another veteran receiver who is out there. He's exploring his options. Clearly, there's interest, but right now he's sitting back and waiting for the right opportunity. And sometimes that could be, I'm waiting to see whether or not somebody gets hurt and all of a sudden a team now has a greater need for somebody like myself. That could be perhaps the mindset. That's what I'm saying. I just, I don't think the Giants present him, and this is my own personal opinion, based on who they have currently on the roster, and you mentioned those three guys, even with Shepard still trying to work his way back, I still think there's enough youth that he would be a duplication of that. Now, if you were telling me you had a tower or a guy that could differentiate from the rest of the receiving core, work with Dable, okay, maybe I understand there's a way to carve out some space. Barring injury, I just don't know if the Giants can offer him a more attractive opportunity let's say another team that actually can utilize somebody of his stature. You know, I think everything's in play, Lance, because we just don't know enough about this first-year coaching staff and this administration. We just, we just don't. I mean, all right, we, we think we understand of, of what their methods and philosophies are, but we just don't know what their gut feel is. So anything that they decide to do, and I think I said this the other day on the show, uh, it can't surprise us because we just don't have enough of a firsthand track record of what their preferences are or how risky uh, they're, they're willing to be. Now, uh, did you want to go over some of, of what happened at practice today? Maybe we should sure. let the fans know No, I did. That. I absolutely wanted to because the receivers made some noise, and I also wanted yes. to get to some thoughts on what Daniel Jones had to say. Sure. A variety of other things, so we certainly have plenty more to cover. No, no, over I got you. This program. I, I just figured yeah. since we were on receivers, it made a good transition. No, no, to it go did over make a good players. transition. I just want to remind the audience of a few things, and then we'll get into some of the highlights from practice. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just a hundred bucks. Call eight 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 NYG nineteen twenty five or visit giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So speaking of the wide receivers, you had Tony taking part in practice, which obviously was good news given his limitations during the course of the offseason. And Wondell Robinson also very active. You had Robinson, he caught a touchdown on a fade left corner of the end zone. And then Tony was on the opposite end zone, right side, and he was able to make a juggling catch thrown to him 
by Daniel Jones with Aaron Robinson defending him. So you see some of these young guys who we're just talking about, and this goes back to, Paul, my thought process, you want to see the young guys get on the field, take advantage of their reps, and make plays. And I think both of those guys certainly answered the call today. Yeah, without a doubt. And if you go to my Twitter site at GiantsWFAN, I was standing in the corner of the end zone right where Tony made his incredible catch against Aaron Robinson, who, by the way, and and I'll get to him in just a second, had a great day. But Daniel Jones, uh, it was one of the, let's see, one, two, three. There were four different portions of practice where they did 11 on 11s uh, down inside the deep red zone. And on this particular play, uh, Jones went back to throw, looked to the right side on what was kind of a fade route for Tony. And Tony just went up, spun, reached, extended, came down with it, inbounds, blanket coverage by Aaron Robinson. And the video, again, is on my Twitter at GiantsWFAN. I was right there. It was right in my grill. I I couldn't have been happier with the video I got of it. Spectacular play. And everybody oozed and odd from the crowd. It was the play of the day, but bar none. Uh, And Tony, to be frank with you, made a number of plays. And I thought he was the number one offensive star during the course of the 90-minute practice. It went on from 10 o'clock till about 11.30. Mostly positional drills, calisthenics and stuff of that nature. A lot of special teams. But there were four different periods where they did 11s on 11s in the deep red zone. Mostly throwing passes. Uh, I thought Matt Breida was probably my second star on offense today. Had a couple of nice runs where he seemed to really find the hole effectively. Uh, ran for two touchdowns. Caught a touchdown pass. Uh, I would put him as the second star of the day offensively. I thought Daniel Jones threw the ball extremely well. I thought uh, Tyrod Taylor threw the ball extremely well. Not as much inconsistency I saw out of Davis Webb as the third quarterback. On defense, clearly two guys stole the show. Uh, Aaron Robinson was sensational. Again, gave up that touchdown pass to Tony, but he was blanketing him. That was a great play by Tony. Not to take any points away from Robinson because he couldn't have played it any better. You'll see it on the video. Robinson had another pass deflection in the end zone in the far corner. Made a terrific play. Knocked down another ball uh, early on during the course of practice. I thought Robinson really, really played very well this morning. And then I, I thought the other guy was Darnay Holmes, who had the defensive play of the day. It was a uh, short pass to the right side, goal line throw by Darnay Holmes. He read it, got underneath, made the nice reaching pick, and, and that was easily the defensive play of the day. Uh, and again, I'm putting Aaron Robinson, though, number one, for his overall practice, and I'm putting Holmes as the number two guy who made the defensive play of the day. So those four guys, for me, were the standouts if you just remove the fact that the two veteran quarterbacks threw the ball extremely well. But again, as as we know, Lance, throwing the ball really well in a situation like this doesn't really prove a whole lot. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. No, and that's why there's only so much you could take away from practices in general. Remember, the pads are not on yet fully. Brian Dable did mention Monday is going to be the first fully padded practice just to give you the timeline. But I think these are two positions that we talked about. When we were previewing training camp, we said, 
look out for the cornerbacks outside of Adoree Jackson, who is going to run away with things. Well, Aaron Robinson has a shot on the opposite corner, and then Darnay Holmes is saying, okay, hey, you drafted Cordell Flott? That's fine. Hey, I've been on the team for a few seasons. I've got NFL experience. Hold on a minute here. That doesn't mean that I can't solidify a larger role or be a guy that's going to get a lot of snaps in Wink Martindale's scheme. And then as far as the wide receivers go, the big storyline this offseason was the fact, and even going back to, of course, last regular season, well, Daniel Jones has not had the luxury of working with the bulk of his receiving core. Okay, well, here we go. The majority of the guys are back out on the field with the exception of Sterling Shepard. This is the time that you're supposed to get on the same page and build that chemistry so that hopefully they do prove their durability and you'll be able to translate that and transfer that over to a regular season game. So I think it's encouraging from that standpoint in terms of position battles as well as guys needing to be on the same page given the fact that they missed critical time last regular season. I absolutely agree. Now, I would I would say one other thing that that – Daniel Jones happened to mention, which is pertinent to exactly what we're talking about. And he said the two things that he really wanted to make sure they did well today was get in and out of the huddle and make sure that the operation was clean and that they were picking out the right guy to throw to. Again, this was mostly passing stuff done today. Not a whole lot of runs. Saquon Barkley did have a really nice run. Where, by the way, he's moving like he did as a rookie. He just looks absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, again, it's not real. They're not hitting yet. They don't even have full pads on. So we'll see. But it's just good to see Barkley looking spectacular again. But I will say this. uh, Jones was very pleased with the way the first day went. We saw uh, a lot of moving pocket, a lot of, uh, you know, quarterbacks, uh, you know, showing their mobility, both Taylor and, and Jones. Even Davis Webb showed some of that stuff. And Daniel Jones was very specific that, okay, you know what, this this is what we're talking about. We're talking about command, in and out of the clean, getting the ball off to the right guy. That's, that's the primary target of today's session, and that they passed with flying colors. And that means it was a good day one, at least as far as the offense is concerned. And Daniel even mentioned that, he was looking forward to having the wide receivers all on the field simultaneously because he really hasn't had an opportunity to get a full taste of that during the course of the spring. And once again, I keep referencing even going back to last regular season, and then he missed time when some of the guys get back on the field. Remember, so it was a combination of the quarterback being hurt and the wideouts getting hurt. That's why this time period end on top of the fact that you're learning a new offense. So I just think it's encouraging to have everybody out on the field getting used to one another, where they line up. There's also, which we've been talking about all offseason, there's a lot of pre-snap movement, and that requires communication because, see, the last thing that you want to have happen when you're an offense with a lot of pre-snap motion is you don't want false starts. How many times has that come back to bite them, Paul, in previous regular season games? Mm-hmm. And I know it's a different scheme, but whether it be a special teams play that wipes out a fake touchdown to Evan Ingram against Dallas, remember a few seasons ago, or, you mm-hmm. know, you all of a sudden it's first and 10. Now it's first and 15 because offensive linemen weren't set. So you need to use training camp, especially if you're going to have that much more motion before the snap, you better be on the same page. I think that's more critical than any level of execution and high flying highlights that you want to tell me you're going to post their social media with make sure that the rhythm before the snap even comes into play is all set. I would not argue that at all. I mean, it was really good to see some of the execution, but yes, 
These guys need to understand the playbook. And, and they all talked about the fact that they're yep. still learning the playbook and they're still learning some of the techniques that this new coaching staff wants to implement. And it is a day-by-day process. There's no doubt about that. They're not going to come out of the gate, you know, all polished and shiny, ready to go. I mean, Lance, let, let's be realistic about it, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for them as they look at their schedule and they have the bulk of their division games down the stretch. That is huge. Not that you are willing to lose games. Nobody wants to lose games. But if you do scuffle a little bit in the early going while you find your sea legs, you're going to be able to make hay in the division if you're clicking in November and December. Now, again, no excuses. The Giants still need to go into that first four-game set thinking minimum two and two. You have to feel that way as a team whenever you go into a season. You don't want to get out of the blocks under 500 in the first quarter of the season. But let's not kid ourselves. The division games, because that's the easiest way to make the playoffs, will always be the most critical. And that's why it is a blessing that they're later as opposed to earlier. But remember, keep this in mind, 11 games you still have outside of the division. I'm not saying you were downgrading that, but even if you did do some damage later in the season, if you dig yourself in an early hole, there's only so many. Right. Parts no of the ladder that no you're going to be able to move up, I guess is my point. We, we've seen that happen too many times before, especially around here in recent years. Exactly. But, I mean, your point is well taken with respect to, and this holds true for any team that has new offenses, new defenses. Listen, the Giants saw that first and center. Unfortunately, more often than not, because there's been so many changes, you can't expect it to be a finished product immediately, especially when guys are spending spring from a young nucleus perspective. I'm talking about the guys that were just drafted. Remember, they're just trying to get used to life in the NFL, okay? Forget the scheme, Paul. They're trying to get used to the fact that I've been practicing for my 40-yard dash more so than I've been studying football over the last few months. So you have to account for that. And then you have to account for, okay, now things are going to be accelerated now that they're back for camp. Practices are going to be much more intense, much more physical. The days are going to be longer than what they went through in the spring. And now Kafka and Wink Martindale, every day you're adding a new layer, a few more pages to the playbook. So if you were behind coming in, They're not going to all of a sudden, Jeff always talks about this on the program. I'm sure you've heard him say this. They're not going to slow things down, and they're not going to say, oh, well, player X, he's few pages behind. So, guys, we got to wait for him to get up to us, and then we'll carry forward. (laughs) That's not how life in the NFL works. (laughs) You think that's going to (laughs) fly? No, not at all. So there's a lot of transition I'm getting at. And you were, I think, alluding to all of that, but there's a lot of different players that are at different layers of just adapting to the NFL, and now you're throwing in new schemes and all these other new elements in play. Yeah, it's understandable if you need that first quarter of the season for everybody to just say, okay, take a step back, breathe. We know this. Now it's a matter of let's go out there and execute it and eliminate some of those mishaps and mistakes that plagued us perhaps during the course of training camp, the preseason, and maybe game one. You want to see progress, I think, Paul. No doubt. That's the key, right? No doubt. You want to feel as if by the time you get to game five, which would be the beginning of the second quarter of the season, I understand for the mathematicians out there, there's 17 games. It's not an even. But we still operate. Someday there'll be 18 games. Trust me, Lance. Okay, but that still won't help us with the quarter system. (laughs) No, it won't. But we still operate. Operate under the mindset, and this is why you were saying two and two. You want to win every coach you speak to. You want to win every quarter of the season. You want to 
Well, you certainly don't want to lose a quarter. Let's put it that way. Two and two doesn't win it, but it gets you even. Okay, but two and two at least keeps your head in a position where you could be above water. So, meaning you want to play 500 or better. Okay, let me rephrase it. With every quarter of the season, so you have a fighting chance and you add up. Okay, two and two, two and two, three and one, four and oh, maybe. And you like your chances right at the end of the season. So, it's more of a reason why by the time you get to the fifth game, you want to feel as if, okay, we got through some of the growing pains, and now the level of expectation for the team should rise accordingly because from the coaches all the way down to the practice squad, everybody has a better command of what we need to take care of. You know, I get it, and I've often preached about this, that September football is always a feel-me-out process, and it is kind of like an extension of the preseason. The problem is those games count. You don't have the wiggle room. Yeah. You know, and every one of those L's that you take in September counts just as much as every other L during the rest of your season. And vice versa. Those wins count just as much as they do at the end. The only thing is that when you concentrate your division games near the end of the year, what you basically are telling your team is that if we're going to progress and naturally become a better team as the season goes on, especially if you're a young team or a team that has got a lot of new parts in it, you'd like to believe that somehow you can doggy paddle through those early games and not drown so that once you get those sea legs and you got the gears really cranking and the oil is just spitting out of that engine, well, now, now, okay, we're primed to make a run. Every coach as, as, as I've ever come into contact with, and now this is my 40th season of covering the Giants and the National Football League, they have always said, you want to play your best football in December. That's, that's clearly every coach's goal. We want to peak and play our best football in December going into the playoffs. If you play your best football in September and go in the other direction – Lance, you're going to have one hell of a headache around the holidays. Well, the Bucks, for example, who recently won the Super Bowl, they're the example of what you're talking about, where they were playing their best football late in the season. They were 7-5. and five. They had the bye. They won their last four games. They were a wild card team. The rest is history. The Cardinals, okay, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum about what you're talking about. Arizona last season, Paul, started off 7-0. and oh. Everybody was looking and saying, well, watch out. Then injuries caught up. DeAndre Hopkins was lost. Now they're limping into the playoffs, and all of a sudden you had them one and done. So, yeah. And somehow they, they still gave Kyler Murray all that money. Well, I mean, that's a whole other topic. But the bottom line is I think those are two examples of teams going in opposite directions. Now the only common element, though, that I will say, and this goes back to what you were emphasizing, those early games count. They did enough, though, whether it be in the second half of the season or the early part of the season, to keep themselves in contention and give themselves, Paul, the opportunity, specifically for the Bucks, to be playing your best football in December. See, there's a lot of teams, if you go back to last year's standings, and even the Giants were in this situation, you go, what was that year when they won 10 games and missed the playoffs? There were actually a few teams. I think Tampa Bay was another team that won 10 games that year, and they wound up didn't get in. This was under Tom Coughlin. At the, but yeah, at the time, that made the Giants, I believe, one of six teams that had won double-digit victories which was and, actu- and actually had missed the playoffs. Yep. That would have been 10, I want to say. I think It was I the year before right. the yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah. So that's an example of 
aren't you going back? I understand 10-6 and six is a great season. Don't get me wrong. But aren't you going to go back if you're a player or a coach on that staff and you're going to say, maybe if we did certain things in week two and we didn't lose that game, we're not in this situation. We're not on the outside looking in. So that's why you can't just say, oh, don't worry. We'll just play our best football in November and December. That still may not be good enough because you may still lose out on a tiebreaker or you may be a game out of the final wild card spot. Well, let's not kid ourselves, all right? I don't think I need to really revisit it, but that was the don't kick it to Deshaun Jackson on the punt return season. I understand. Now, that happened later on in the season. Yeah, though, but, that one. but but yeah. here's the problem. If if they had held on and won that game instead of blowing it at, at MetLife, uh, they make the playoffs. They go 10-4, and four and the Eagles are 9-5, and five and the Giants make the playoffs instead of vice versa. And it was all because Matt Dodge kicked the ball to Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> well, and those things add up. Those you little know? things add and, up. And yet, and yet still, I remember after they won their last game that season, if you remember, they, they beat Washington uh, in a real close game on the road. And in the locker room after the game, uh, Coach Coughlin was animate when he said to his players, look, you guys just finished with 10 wins this year. This year. That's something to be proud of, damn proud of. It's hard to win 10 games in this league in a given season. Yep. And and he wanted to make sure that they understood they had accomplished something, but at 10 and 6, they were going home. And that was week 15 that you're referring to. And then remember, the following week, they got hammered by the Packers in a very ugly game. Oh, yeah. They were never in that game. That was not pretty. That was horrible. But, but the reason why I could also use that season as an example, you go back and – Granted, they lost both of these games by lopsided affairs, but weeks two and three of that season, Paul, they lost at Indianapolis 38-14, to and then they lost to Tennessee at home 29-10. to So that goes back to what you were referring to. The first four games of the season count. You were, you're focusing on Philadelphia. Granted, I understand that, but maybe if they beat Indy or Tennessee mm -hmm. and they play better football, maybe the blow of that loss to the Eagles doesn't hurt as much and doesn't come back well, to bite. You know what it comes down to, Lance, and it's one of the reasons why I love the National Football League so much. Every game is so, so important. You know, Unlike any other sport, by the way. I, t I tell my dad all the time, you have to scoreboard watch every single week of the season. It does matter. You need to watch what are the scores in your division. What are the scores around your conference? You need to look at that every single week. Because in the NFL, anytime you give away a game, and look, going back to that season, Lance, as I recall, the Eagles game is the only one they gave away. The other games they lost that year, I don't ever remember saying they gave that game away or they should have won that game. They were beaten on a handful of occasions. But the Philadelphia game was in their pockets, and they allowed Philly to rally in the fourth quarter out of nowhere, one of the great comebacks in Eagles history, and, and capped off by Deshaun Jackson. But here's the point. It's one stinking game. But guess what? One stinking game forced you to go home. And that's my point. Yeah. So, you know, and it doesn't matter what week of the season it was. That's the game that put the Eagles in the playoffs and forced you out. Well, the reason also that game was even more of a killer is what you just said. It was in the division. Remember, divisional losses basically are two losses. 
because you gain that much more breathing room on your opponent because of the tiebreaker situation. No doubt. No doubt. So, you know, it, it's people don't people don't sometimes they lose track in the early part of the season sometimes. Yes, do they care about their NFL team and if they win and then if they lose and there's a lot of ebb and flow with those emotions, but enough of attention isn't paid to what's going on in your division. At least I don't think so. Friends growing up never seemed to care a lot about the scoreboard. And I would always tell them, no, guys, the scoreboard's important, especially when they created the wild card in 1970. I remember I was six years old, and the AFL and NFL merged into the National Football League, and they made the AFC and the NFC. And they said, guess what? There's going to be three division winners in each conference, and we're going to create one wild card team. And so you will have four playoff teams in the NFC and four playoff teams in the AFC. There's going to be a wild card. And I remember freaking out saying, oh, my God, this is really, really great. You know, more teams are going to get to make the playoffs. And, you know, once that happened, you had to have this mindset that every score every week mattered. It just did. Because now you knew that there were going to be tiebreakers that were probably going to determine at least one or two playoff spots in the conference. Anyway, that's just me. No, listen, (laughs) I'm loving the NFL for all of the reasons you just laid out. I know it becomes frustrating and a headache from a fan perspective, but you cannot match the level of importance for every game and a reason to tune in. The NBA doesn't do that. The NHL doesn't do that. And I understand MLB, you've had games that come down to the wire and a team goes back and says, well, if we won a random game in July, maybe we'd be looking at it differently. But it's 162 games. You can tune out for a month and not feel like you missed an entire season. You can't do that in the NFL. There's nothing that comes close to the level of excitement and the importance that the NFL product presents. So I'm with you and just pretty much echoing your sentiments. Now, we have a few minutes left. I want to get to a few other items coming from the headlines out of today's first training camp practice. Number one, the one guy we didn't mention with respect to injuries is Aziz Ojolari. And when Dable spoke to the media earlier today, because he's dealing with a hamstring injury, he's on the non-football injury list. That was part of the transactions they made the other day. He just said he got a little dinged up. He didn't make it sound like it was a serious issue or anything like that. And remember, after Bellinger came off the pup list in about 24, 48 hours, (laughs) I think everybody should take a step back and breathe. But all he said was that he got dinged up with respect to the hamstring injury. Not that there's anything to read into that, but it just doesn't seem like it's an alarming issue, I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, here's the thing. Because it did not happen here, you know, during the course of a practice or anything of that nature— uh, it's a non-football injury list. It's just a technicality. It's more of a paperwork thing sure. than anything else. You know, you you can't call him you can't call him a pup guy because the hamstring didn't get tweaked on the practice field. That's all. That's why it's an NFI. He's an NFI instead of a PUP. <laughs> See, good luck trying to understand all these acronyms. <laughs> you basically you need a dictionary breakdown next to you when you have all these terms. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But you know what, Lance? Uh, it's it's going to be really fun. You could tell once again, and I told everybody this during the spring practices, and I'll say it again today, when they broke up into some of their individual groups, the front seven on defense, they broke up into their four 
stations and each collective group, because they have so many, obviously, you know, there's so many guys on, on, on the team. In fact, I think one of the things that, that, you know, I've enjoyed is watching how Wink Martindale runs his front sevens. He'll, he'll, they'll, they'll take the defensive front sevens, they'll bring them over to one side of the field, and they'll have four different stations, four fake offensive lines, if you will. They're upside-down garbage cans, to be honest. Okay? <laughs> and, yes. and, and what they do is, as you go, you're at station, every team, go, every one of the four groups goes to a station, and they, they make their rounds going to each station as a group, and they will run different types of pressure schemes depending upon the station that they're working at. And, you know, that's something that I don't really remember seeing before until Wink Martindale got here. It's, a, it's an interesting um, way to teach the guys the different styles of pass rush and the different combinations of what you're going to want to throw at folks. You have to get creative because, A, you may not have all the bodies that you want to wear out for something like that. And once again, as we were talking about, the pads are not on yet. So you're not going to have offensive linemen and defensive linemen beat each other up over the course of your first practice. That's more of a reason why the garbage cans, the other items, they come in handy to at least present looks. And that's what it really is. It's more about the optics, Paul, that you were talking about. You want to give those defensive linemen, okay, when you're going to be in a game, this is probably how the offensive line will be lined up. This may be the spacing or whatever it may be, and this is the area or the openings that we're trying to attack under those circumstances. No doubt. And, you know, look, other coaches have used the garbage cans, too. I'm not sure. telling you that. I mean, we've seen it. other Giants coaches do We've seen do other that, coaches yeah. do it. I, yeah. I'm specifically talking about how they, they broke up the, the front seven into these different stations. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense because there are so many things that Wink wants to do with his pressure packages. You know, if you give the, the, these guys a full salad bar all at once, well, then they don't have a chance to run it. But if you separate them into four different stations, I think everybody gets a better chance to absorb the stuff. At least that's my anticipation. I haven't talked to Wink as to the mythology behind what he's doing, but I think that's why he does it. Anything's possible. That's the beauty of having a new coaching staff, too. You gain a new way of going about practice compared to what Patrick Graham did or some of the other assistants. I, under, I also wonder whether or not Brian Cox, remember who's on staff, maybe he has some influence in that, too. Paul, considering he's a former he might defensive have. lineman. He might I'm have. just talking out well, loud. Linebacker. I'm not saying, he was yeah, a linebacker. Linebacker. But, but, but a guy a that got after coach. the quarterback and so forth. Yeah, and a D-line coach, a member of the front seven. Uh, I didn't see Brian out there today at practice, to be honest with you. I, I got to check into that. I, I didn't see him. But, but there was a video I caught that somebody saw him talking to a player, so I believe he was out there. Yeah, that might have been the case. Yeah. I mean, again, there was a lot to watch. Sure. And I wasn't paying attention to him as much as I was trying to look at the players. But anyway, day one's in the books, and again, no injuries today. That's good news. Day two tomorrow starts again, uh, 10 o'clock practice here at the facility. And one other quick note with respect to just the health of the team. Andrew Thomas spoke to the media, we should mention, and he's somebody obviously coming off of ankle off-season surgery, and they knew that they were going to take it easy with him over the course of the off-season program. He feels really good. He likes the game plan that's in place to get him ready to go to be prepared for the grind of the season. So similar to Blake Martinez, you had a number of players 
they spoke to the training staff. They spoke to the coaching staff. They laid out exactly, okay, this is the goal. This is when we want you back on the field. And Thomas, I think, pretty much echoed a lot of what Blake had to say when mm-hmm. he spoke to the media. Totally concur. Oh, yeah, there was one other play that I did want to mention that I thought was a really, really good play. It was a candidate for defensive play of the day, but I had to give it to Holmes for his interception. During the final 11-on-11 drill, as I'm looking at my notes, Davis Webb threw a fade to Robert Foster, uh, left side of the end zone, and Flott just made a terrific play on the ball and uh, was able to knock Foster out of bounds uh, just as his feet came down. So it was ruled incomplete out of bounds. Foster did a nice job in catching it, but Flott did a good job of getting there just in the nick of time and knocking him out. So the touchdown was, uh, was ruled incomplete, but uh, a really, really nice play by Flott. And quite frankly, again, Foster showing some good hands, able to hold it. This happened uh, after earlier in the practice. Foster had actually dropped a pass at the goal line. So a little bit of redemption for him to hold on to the ball, albeit Flott pushed him out. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, Holmes and Flott battling for positions within the secondary. So clearly, I'm sure he saw the Holmes interception, vice versa. Yeah, they know that they want to try to right one-up each other as practice continues to play out. All right, that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Once again, we will give you full reports each and every day here on the program, Monday through Friday. And today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platform everywhere and giants.com slash podcast for paul Dettino, i'm lance meadow stay locked to giants.com for all the latest and we'll speak to you on thursday right here on bbkl have a good one your credit card should match your lifestyle at kemba financial credit union choose a card with benefits that work for you for a limited time all cards have two percent cash back on purchases and zero percent interest on balance transfers for a year apply at kemba.org restrictions apply offer ends june 30th 2024 You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And Hmm. not to mention we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team ranking as a top culinary destination in the world be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.